You know, growing up in a small church, we would have those Sunday nights where uh, it would be like hymn singing. And I always thought, you know, I'm not sure the preacher prepared a message today. So this morning, if y'all would, tell me your favorite hymn and let's sing those this morning. Wayne, <laughs> get back up there. You know, it'd always be some smart aleck kid that would want to sing God of Earth and Outer Space, you know. But, uh, but anyway... Uh, as I was looking today at what to share about, and obviously, you know, reading devotional thoughts and different things, came to that, you know, passage about Thanksgiving in 1 Thessalonians. And in there, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. And so I read that and then wanted to look at a little bit of the background to that passage. And the background of that passage comes from Acts chapter 17. Uh, kind of where that, that whole story, if you remember, Paul had desires about where he wanted to go to speak and the Holy Spirit had other thoughts about where he was going to go speak. And so he pushed him and he pushed him and eventually he ends up in Philippi. He preaches in Philippi for, for a little while, has some success there. And uh, because he has success, jealousy, rights, things come up and then he's pushed out of there about a hundred miles away to uh, Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, kind of the background for what we're looking at today, it says, Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia, I'm sure I got those correct, and Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's customs, he went into the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and he proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews uh, who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and along with many God-fearing Greek men and uh, quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them uh, out to the crowd. Not finding, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they're coming here to disturb our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they possess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond and they released them. That's just kind of the background of what we're looking at today. But you see, Paul goes to the city. He preaches in the synagogue. He preaches there three Sundays. It seems like our, our Sabbath, I, I, you know, things are going well. But then as people start to convert, jealousy again erupts. And because the jealousy erupts, again, he's pushed out of the synagogue. Now, I think we've got a map kind of up here because Chris uses maps. So I thought I would use a map. And you can see Thessaloniki, you know, he went from Philippi up there at the top, went about 100 miles there to Thessaloniki. You kind of see where that is uh, at that time, Macedonia, present-day Greece uh, in that area. <clears throat> and eventually, when, when troubles arise there, uh, he goes on from there eventually to Athens and then to Corinth. But he probably stays there about three months. We think he probably stayed there about three months because he had time to establish a church, 
that had, had some stability. He established, uh, he supported himself, had time to establish that business. There were also three uh, supports uh, offerings that were given to, excuse me, two support offerings that were given to him from Philippi. That was about a five days journey. So there had to be time enough for that to happen. So he's in this city, but he gets pushed out eventually. They can, and, and from there he goes to Berea. He's there for seven or eight weeks. Again, they follow him there, push him out of there. He ends up in Athens, has some luck in Athens, but not much, and eventually spends about 18 to 20 months in Corinth from there. But he becomes concerned about the folks back in Thessalonica. He becomes concerned about that church. Now, this is the one where he has taken Silas and Timothy uh, along with him because they had that split earlier about John Mark. So he has Silas and Timothy uh, with him, and he left Silas and Timothy there. They eventually join him in Athens, but he says, I want you guys to go back. So he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to, uh, to check on the people, to help them in their growth. Eventually, he comes back, gives him a report. Paul is so excited about that report. Because he knows they're facing opposition, they're facing persecution, all this is going on. And yet he hears this good report about the people, about the church. The church is growing, it's thriving, their faith is contagious. Other believers are wanting to come in. In the midst of all this, they have a contagious faith. And I want us this morning to think about how we as a church and we as individuals can have a contagious faith. Because I believe there's good things going on at First Baptist Ruston. We're seeing people come to Christ, people joining, a lot of people serving. That's not bragging. This is about what God's doing. We've got a long way to go. We, you know, things that we need to implement discipleship-wise and training-wise and home Bible studies. There's a lot of things we need to do, but a lot of good things are going on. And with all the chaos that's in the world that can get us distracted from that, we've got to keep focused on what's going on. That was part of his letter uh, when he said it to those in Thessalonica. He was like, there's a lot of chaos going on. Families are being disrupted. You're facing persecution. And it would be easy to get off track. But I'm so excited about what's going on. I want to give you something that's going to encourage you and keep you going forward. And I want us to look at that today. This is straight up plagiarism today. This is straight up from First Thessalonians. Thessalonians chapter 5 today. It's straight from that. But these are good words that he gave to them. And a lot of times at the end of Paul's letters, he would just kind of sum up and give several points, just a lot of stuff to get. And this is what he's doing at the end of 1 Thessalonians. That's a great book to read sometimes. It's short, but it's very positive and very encouraging. So I want us to look at a couple of things that he was telling them. If you want to have a contagious, thriving church, here's what you need to do. And he would tell us at First Ruston, if we want to be a contagious, thriving church, if you want to be a contagious, thriving Christian, here's what you need to do. Here's the first thing he tells us to do. We got to be good followers. We've got to be good followers. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. He says, if you want to have a thriving, contagious church, 
you got to be good followers. Wherever Paul went, he appointed elders to those churches, ministers, leaders. This isn't anything self-serving. This is straight from Scripture. It's true. If you want to be a great church, you have got to follow those that God has put in leadership. Churches that have difficulties have conflict with those in leadership. Now, hopefully you've put people that you can trust and that over time have showed you that they're godly character. I'm pretty certain you have that in Chris, that you have somebody of godly character that wants to see people one to the Lord, that wants to see the great commission carried out. And he was saying, these godly leaders that you have in place, you need to be willing to follow them. But it's not just limited to the ministers in the church. This is also talking about anyone that has responsibility for spiritual growth and maturity of someone in the church. This would mean Sunday school teachers, deacons, uh, even people in different areas of ministry responsibility. If you are under them, you need to follow them so that will be successful. He tells them three things. He says, leaders, here's three things I expect of you. I expect you to work hard, to leave, to lead, and to give guidance. Work hard is simply what it says. It means to labor hard, long hours, uh, equipping, toiling. So he says, leaders, you need to work hard. It would be a pointing at me. You need to work hard and do what it takes to minister to people. But he would also then say Sunday school teachers, deacons, Uh, Other leadership responsibilities, planning, coordinating events, and whatever. You need to work hard and make sure whatever you do, you do it with excellence. Don't give God leftovers. Give him your very best. He says lead. He's talking about having charge over. He's talking about shepherding, pastoral care, be an example that others can follow. So he'd tell us as leaders that we have a responsibility to shepherd, to nurture, to guide, but he would also tell others in areas of ministry, you need to shepherd, nurture, and guide. And then he says, give guidance. Some translations say, give that word of correction. Uh, to correct without provoking someone, that gentle word. I don't like to do this. That's my leadership flaw, okay? I just want everybody to love everybody and give a good hug and let's go get some, uh, I don't want to say ice cream because that's Chris's thing, ice cream and donuts. Uh, but but I don't, I'll just do the right thing and do what you need to, but sometimes in love we have to give that word of guidance. Sometimes it's through teaching, sometimes it's through preaching, but sometimes it's through a relationship that people that love us, they can say, hey, tell me what's going on. Let's talk about this. We have to be willing to give that word of correction at times because that often is a word of protection. And it says when we lead, we need to lead in the Lord. In other words, we have to lead with Christian character. And one of the things you need to look for in leadership is people that don't just talk it, but people that live it. So leaders, our challenge, your challenge, because most of us have somebody that we're leading. And this would certainly include the church, but leadership at your place of work, leadership in your home, leadership in your circles. You need to be somebody that people can follow. And when they follow, they get closer to Christ. Then he tells all of us, he says, church at large, here's what you need to do to those that are in leadership. You need to honor, respect, and hold in high esteem. Honor, you need to appreciate them, respect. That means in the highest regard. Uh, it's ta- and, and hold in high esteem talks about knowing somebody. 
In other words, I know you, I get to know your name, I get to know your life, I care about you. It's not just somebody that I see and I walk out, I pray for you, I lift you up. We need to honor, respect, and hold in high esteem those that are in leadership. Those that have had any type of leadership or responsibility, you know the difficulty in that. And you know the difference encouragement can make. So these verses are telling us, be a people of encouragement. Be a people of positivity. Be a people that that lift people up. And that means people that have served in the past. Go back and say, man, I appreciate your years of service. If you go visit people that are homebound or in the nursing homes or whatever, find out what they do, find out what they served, and give them words of encouragement for that faithful service. He understood with the persecution and hardships that they were facing, it'd be easy at times to go, this isn't worth it. This is too hard. This is too difficult. I'm not seeing results from this. If you've ever taught youth, if you've ever taught children, if you've ever taught Bible school, you go, what in the world just happened today? You know, did we do anything? Did those kids get anything out of this? And that's where it's important sometimes to get that word of encouragement, maybe from a parent that says, man, thank you so much for loving them. Thank you for willing, being willing to take fifth and sixth grade boys on a Wednesday night when they want to sit down and just really study and sing and learn about Jesus. But thank you for being here for them and loving them. We need to encourage each other. And it tells us, then finally he says, and everybody, you know what? Live in peace. He says, live in peace because nobody wants to come into a church where this is going on. We as leaders need to learn how to agree to disagree about things and let's move forward. And we have to uh, give deference to those that are an authority over to us. I may have this thought, he may have this thought. But I've got to be willing to follow that one in leadership over me. And we've got to be willing to agree to disagree. We live in peace and harmony because the mission of Christ is more important than my preference in a situation. So I just ask you, evaluate yourself in this area. How are you doing in following your leaders? How are you doing in your leadership responsibility? How are you doing encouraging those in leadership? If we want to have a contagious, great church, we've got to follow those in leadership. We've got to be willing to give excellence when we're given a responsibility of leadership. And we've got to be willing to encourage those in leadership. Here's the second thing. If we're going to have a contagious, thriving church, we have got to be a church that is moving forward. And it means moving forward and focused out. Our focus, you know, it's real simple. One of our things, love, win, grow, it's about love God, love people. You want to love God and love people. So here he says, you've got to make sure that you don't, as you grow and all this trouble, that you don't become this little holy huddle and you forget, are we have a responsibility out there to the world and we have a responsibility to each other to help them equip and grow so they can go out and reach. So we've got to keep an outward focus. First Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, he gives us several things that we need to focus on. He says, brothers and sisters, and he's talking about the family of Christ, we urge you, Warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. So he gives them several things. And earlier with the leadership, he said, we ask you, 
It wasn't as strong of a word because probably there wasn't as big of an issue here. He just knows long term, you need to keep this in mind. Here he says, we urge you. He's given a stronger term here because he says this is so important and this can get out of hand so quickly. He says, first of all, and this is to all of us. This is to leadership. This is to membership. He says, warn the idle. Or in this passage, it said the lazy. Basically, it's talking about like a soldier that is out of step. He has a duty and he's not at his place of duty. It talks about loafing. Uh, It's a word that that talks about... um, outside the given order or something that is out of order. It's somebody that is giving less than what is expected, that is trying just to coast through or get by. Our standard as believers should be excellence. We ought to always pursue excellence in everything that we do. And so it says we have a responsibility. I do that if Ed is not given excellence, I need to sit down with Ed and we need to have a conversation. We need to talk to Ed. Tell me how's it going. How's it going with children? Let's talk about Bible school and how that went this past year. What'd you like about it? I said, uh, well, let me ask you about this area. Do you really feel like y'all, and hopefully a person is self-aware about that, but if not, if I could tell Ed just kind of coasted through, said, Ed, you know, when I love you as my brother in Christ, and when you're giving something to God, you need to give your excellent, your best, your first place. Did you do that? We've got to warn. And again, those aren't fun things to do, but out of love, we do that with our kids when they're bringing home the C minus in a subject. Now, if that's their best, then great. But if they're coasting by or at a job or a chore or a task, we hold people accountable. And we need to have that same standard and expectation in the church because it can create resentment. If I'm over here loading and moving tables and chairs and somebody over here is sitting and, you know, the Mary Martha thing that's going on there. So it says, warn the idol and let them know that excellence is expected. He says, encourage the timid. People that are discouraged, again, in the situation that they were in, it'd be real easy to get discouraged in that situation. So he says, encourage the timid. Uh, Encourage those that life circumstances have got them down. And he says, learn, this would be a situation where you need to learn from Job's friends. Job's friends needed to just sit with Job and be there for him. They didn't need to give any advice. They just needed to say, Job, we love you and we're here for you, buddy. And sit there with him. We need to encourage people that are going through difficulties. Be there for them. We may have to help them financially. We may have to help them with time. We may have to give of ourselves. But encourage those that are are timid. He says, help the weak. This is talking about physically weak, maybe sick, but it's also talking about spiritually weak. As a church grows, you're going to bring in people that are spiritually weak. You're going to bring in people that don't have a lot of background and and understanding. We've got that responsibility to help disciple them and help them grow. But we also have that responsibility, just like Jesus, to help those that are physically sick, that are going through difficulties and hardships, and to be there for them. And he says, all of this is going to try your patience. When new people come in, and a lot of times this is why churches resist growth. Because new people disrupt things and we have to change and do things differently. And it just frustrates me at times because they don't understand our traditions and the way we like to do things. And he says, as new people come in, as you face hardships and difficulties, and man, in Christ, it's supposed to get easier and it doesn't seem to be getting easier. He says, be patient. Let's talk about a word that means to have a long fuse. 
You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it says that love is patient. We need to be long-suffering with people because when we're not in a church and we get angry and we blurt it out and we don't think before we speak, again, tensions, conflict, words can't be taken back at times. So we always need to think before we speak and be patient. And then a big one, he says, in the church, we need to be known as a forgiving people and, and, and forgive and let stuff go. The Old Testament thing was kind of that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It was meant to be a limitation. In other words, I don't go break out Ronnie's window by accident and then Ronnie comes and burns down my house. Okay, it was meant to be kind of fairness. Okay, if I accidentally break out his window, then I replace his window. I give him the cost for that. But what they had taken it to be is kind of, no, this is standard. You break out my window, by golly, I'm coming to break out your window. You accidentally, you know, hit me with an elbow playing basketball and knock out my tooth, well, you know, grin and bear it because I'm about to knock out yours. And that's not what God intended. Instead, he intended for that, you know, that, that's just, that's a limit and a boundary. And what he tells us in Matthew, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I want you to have a different standard about forgiveness. Let things go. Don't let them continue to have control over you. Don't let them sour relationships because as a church grows, the odds are somebody's going to come in that you've had some past dealings with or you had a family member connected to them or a friend connected to them that wasn't positive. And if you're not careful, that can seep in. And he says, we've got to learn to be a people of forgiveness. And finally, he kind of sums it all up there and he says, be kind to everyone. In other words, be helpful. I want you not to list this to be something on occasion. I want it to be your lifestyle that uh, which you are friendly in the face of hostility, that you return kindness and blessing for cursing, that when somebody asks you for a coat, you give them your cloak as well. When they ask you to go one mile, you're willing to go two. I want you to be known as a people of kindness. And let me tell you, when people walk into a church like that, where there is forgiveness and grace, where there is caring for those that are hurting, where we care enough to challenge each other towards excellence, where we um, were patient, people are drawn to that kind of a church. We're excited about coming and meeting together. There's a world out there of hurting people, and that's the kind of blessing that they need. And he wanted to remind them in Thessalonica It'd be real easy just to huddle in and forget about the world. The world doesn't love you. It doesn't care about you. It's hostile towards you. But instead, you love the world and you guys love each other. So evaluate yourself again. Because when Paul wrote this to them, he was writing for them to read it and evaluate. How are you doing? Are you loving each other? Are you caring for each other? Are you challenging each other to excellence? How are you doing carrying that message out to the world? Then he tells us a great one in chapter 3. Great verses to memorize because they're short and to the point. He says, not only if we're going to be great, do we have to move forward by focusing on people. We've got to move forward by focusing up and by focusing on God. And he gives three great verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. In this verse, he says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Very simple. Be joyful, be prayerful, and be thankful. 
Joyful, prayerful, thankful. That is a church. There's a lot more to church, but that ought to be the attitude that marks us. That we ought to be joyful and thankful and praise ought to come forward. That ought to be the gathering for us when we come to church. And you look forward to coming to church because it's going to be thankful. It's going to be prayerful. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be a celebration of who God is. Growing up, I didn't always get excited about coming to church because I had to wear this suit and tie, you know, and you love doing that when you're 10 and 11 years old. I had to sit in the pew and be quiet and get smacked a few times if I wasn't quiet. And then the preacher was going to yell at me. We're going to sing some songs about the God of outer space. And it just wasn't always joyful. And church should be joyful. It should be and excited. We ought to come. We ought to celebrate. We ought to be glad to see each other. We ought to get hope. We ought to get encouragement. Joyful. And he understood the persecution that they were facing. He wouldn't say be thankful for these circumstances, but in these circumstances, you don't have to face them alone. God is with you in these circumstances. No matter what happens, you know what? We got a home in heaven because we have a savior. No matter what happens in this life, we don't have to face it alone. God is with us. He has equipped us. He has given us the ability, that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, that can just flow out of us no matter what we're facing. You can have purpose and impact, whether your life is short, whether your life is long. If you have Jesus Christ, you can have joy because God will use your life to have influence. Whether it's influencing one or whether it's influencing thousands. At the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to reward us the same for what we have done with what he is entrusted with. We can be joyful. This life is not the end. The circumstances we find ourselves in are not the end. We ought to be a people of prayer. That doesn't mean we just walk around praying all the time, but it means we have that spirit. There is a dependence uh, on us, on God. We are constantly aware of his presence. And therefore, before we speak, before we act, before, uh, you know, we give, to, we think, does this bring honor and glory to God? Because we're in that state of prayerfulness. When we see somebody, we lift them up. We think about encouraging them. We think about being appreciative towards them. And the key to keeping joy is we're constantly giving our burdens to God through prayer. And then a thankful people, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Not that all things are good, but all things work together for good because they're going to accomplish God's purposes. We've just come through a period of thanksgiving. Were we? We have so much. We're sitting in here with lights and padded pews, with air conditioning, relatively free of any fear from anything that's going to happen. We can go home from here. We can eat. You can go over here and you can get a cup of coffee. We get in a car. We ride someplace. We get a phone. We punch a thing into it. Things go to outer space and back to our phone. I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for, but it is so easy to let the things of the world press and make us negative. I've got a picture up here of one of my favorite characters, the wise sage Eeyore. And if you know about lovable Eeyore, Eeyore does not always look on the bright side of life. Okay. He's kind of got that negative pessimistic and we all love Eeyore, but you don't want to be an Eeyore. And we know Eeyores, you know, Eeyores in your life. Well, you know, always have that gloomy side of things. Okay. That's enough of Eeyore, but that's just a reminder. I'm telling you, it is easy 
easy to get down by what's going on out here. And in the church, we can't let that drive us. We have to let this relationship with God drive us. We have a higher purpose and God's going to win. And we want to take that message to as many people as possible so they can experience it. So in our relationship with God, we need to be a joyful people, a thankful people, a praying people. So again, examine yourself. How are you doing there? Are you joyful? Are you thankful? Does that what characterize you? Does that what characterize your worship? And then finally, just real quick, he gives a few guardrails here at the end. Here's a few things that he says, hey, you, you need to watch in these areas as a church. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, he sums up by saying, don't stifle or don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies. Test everything that's said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of the background of what was going on at that time. Uh, obviously, there were people coming in, you know, didn't have, obviously, our canon of the Bible at that time. And things were coming in, and they were telling things. And some of them were, were scoffing and quite bringing it into a question. And he gives the test because he says, you know, hey, test the character of those that are coming in to speak. Just the fruit. And, you know, we can back it up, and we can look at Scripture and say the Scripture back up what they're saying. But also look at their lifestyle. Does their lifestyle back up at what they're saying? But I want us to think about the don't quench part. Because here's where, a young, here's where a growing church has to be careful that we don't quench the Holy Spirit. Again, with them, it might have been people coming in and, and using more some of the, the outwardly gifts and things like that. And some people were scoffing and pulling back from that. What we've got to be careful is that God moves and he's moving and we don't rejoice in that. That somebody gets baptized and it's like, eh. It's no big deal. Somebody comes forward and gives their life to Christ, and we're not excited about that. Somebody starts serving. Or we have a revival, and a lot of people come forward, and our thought is, well, we know how this is. People got emotional. Not a lot's going to come from this. You know, the Bible's real clear. It talks about in the parable of the sower and the seeds that there's definitely going to be people that come forward, and their life's not going to bring forth change and fruit. That's not our job to decipher that. Our job is somebody comes forward, we're going to assume they're going to have that kind of life. Let's love them, let's disciple them. But it's easy to start being negative about that. It's easy just to come to church without an expectation for God to move in my life or to move in the church's life. It's easy to go in Sunday school class and not expect anything to happen today. And if we're not careful, the Holy Spirit and his movement gets quenched. Because what happens is that lack of expectation, that negativity, that just kind of ho-hum going through the motion, it spreads to other people. And it spreads throughout the church and it spreads to those that we're trying to reach. So he says, be real careful that you don't quench the Holy Spirit. It needs to be when you come to church, you rejoice, you're thankful, you're, you're in a state of prayer, you're excited about what God has done in your life and what God is doing in the people around you's life. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. And then he, he closes by telling them just real simple, hold to the good. When you hear that something's good, when God tells you to put it on, when he tells you to develop that fruit of the Spirit, put it on, develop it. Cling to what is good. Cling to the word. Cling to prayer. When you see people in the church that are investing you and loving you, cling to them. Cling to coming to worship. 
Worship, you get a word from God. It's important not to neglect that. As Hebrew says, people get in the habit of doing. It's important to, to open up your word and realize God is, is trying to teach you, to protect you, to provide for you. Read his word. Take advantage of the privilege of prayer. And it says avoid evil. When God clearly says something is wrong, get away from it. Don't do like so many people do and try and find reasons. And we do the comparative thing, why it's okay for me to to give God less than in this area of my life, whether it's service, whether it's giving, whether it's sin I want to cling on to because it's not really that bad, it doesn't hurt. Get away from it. God is trying to protect you and provide for you. And the thing is, when that kind of creeps into the church, it doesn't just hurt you, it can gradually hurt other people. Is your heart And you're not as effective, you're not hearing, you're not listening, then other people are hurt as well. So it says when God clearly shows something is evil, is wrong, is less than, then just separate from it and get away from it and hold on to the good. So he closes by giving these few guardrails. If you want to have a thriving, contagious church, he says don't quench the Holy Spirit. Get excited about what God is doing in people's lives. Again, I've seen this happen, and you can, as grandchildren, as parents, be careful. I've seen students, as an old student minister, be excited about in the summer. I'm going to go to camp. I'm going on a mission trip, and the parents have got so much going on that summer. Well, we'll do that later. We'll do that whatever. We, we need to focus on this. You need to be involved in this or whatever. And then a couple of years later, the kid loses interest in that. Why don't, and the parent says, why don't you go to camp? Why don't, eh, I'm not interested anymore. We've got to be careful, even at a young age, of quenching the spirit. I've seen college students want to take a summer off, want to take a year off, and go serve on the mission field after they graduate. Go serve two years before starting a career. And parents will say, oh, no, no, we need to keep focused on our education. You need to get an internship. You need to go straight to work. And then eventually that fire was in that kid gets quenched. We've got to be careful that we don't quench that spirit in people's lives and we've got to when god tells us something good put it on cling to it when something evil push away from it how are you doing in that area of your life so this morning we want to be a contagious church and it's not about first rustin it's because we worship a great savior and we want people to be drawn and attracted to our savior and so these words today are about how do people get drawn to a fellowship to a family so they hear about a great savior so examine yourself respect those in leadership you be a great leader you encourage those in leadership you minister to the family of god and to the community at large be willing to 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 lift them up to encourage to get to to push excellence be willing to come to worship and be a person in your personal worship and in your corporate worship where you're about rejoicing and thanksgiving and then Those guardrails encourage people. Get excited when God's moving. Encourage people to pursue their passion and God. And listen when God says, let go, take off, or put on, take up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us and caring for us. Uh, You're a wonderful, great God who gave us nothing less than your best, nothing less than excellence. And Father, in response and return, help us to be committed to giving you nothing less than excellence, nothing less than our best. Father God, thank you for Paul and that he was willing to go and face hardships and and difficulties and persecution 
because he had a purpose, and that purpose was to carry his ma- your message. And Father, as he helped establish those churches, he wanted those places to be lighthouses. And Father, we are an extension of that. So Father, help us here at First Ruston to want to be a lighthouse for you. Help us to be a people that reflect you in our words and our character and our actions. Let our worship honor you. And then let our love for people honor you so that people are drawn to you. Father, we love you and we praise you. Father, help us just to be willing to be open and honest and adjust any areas in our life to you that we need to. In your name we pray. Amen. Invitation time. You can respond where you are. You and God have a conversation. You're welcome to come forward. If you need to join church, be a part of what we're doing here, we would love to have you uh, join with us. We just have a few questions we ask you. But most importantly,